Welcome to Engineering Misjudgment with me, Shannon. I have a degree in chemical engineering and I work as a risk consultant engineer. Eventually, I'll tell you more about me, but today is not that day. Today, our topic is the Imperial Sugar Explosion. So let's get to it. Okay, just kidding. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping before we really get into today's incident. First thing I want to talk about is along with exposing engineering disasters, this podcast is a way to get to the core of news stories you hear, but maybe never hear about again because there's always a new sad tragedy. So I'm going to try to do my best to be respectful of all the cases. And I do hope that this will give some type of entertainment, but also some time for people to reflect on different things that kind of happen around us that we don't always have the time to process because of work and bills and other things that we need to get to. So the second thing, there will be an E as an explicit for all the episodes. Fun fact, my grandma taught me how to cuss and I respect my elders. So that's your warning. I will make sure to not overdo it, but sometimes it just slips. Sometimes it just happens. I learned to cuss when I was like four or five. So, I mean, it's very hard to actually filter it out in regular conversation. Um, and I had had to be careful when talking in professional and classroom settings because I just sometimes it just happens. It just happens. OK, so if you aren't an engineer, no worries. I'm going to try to attempt to give you all the info that you need to be dangerous or to be an over knowledgeable asshole at parties or a little bit more prepared for upcoming climate events. So don't be afraid of listening to this podcast. And if you ever have questions, of course, you can always send that to the podcast social media, either through Twitter or Instagram. I am thinking about getting an email, but I don't know. I don't know if that's just like opening me up for more things that I just really don't want to read or if that's going to be helpful. But y'all just let me know. Just let me know. If you are an engineer, this is a warning. I'm fine with being wrong. So if you have any added info that you think would be helpful or corrections, again, just send a DM to the podcast social media on Instagram or Twitter. But you better be following the account or I'm going to ignore all of your message requests. I don't have time for the negativity. And if you're going to write me a long paragraph to make yourself like feel smart or something like that, like I'm not the one. Don't try to impress me. Go impress someone for money because we all need money. So go do that. Go do it for money. Don't do it for free. Like I'm doing this for free, but you don't have to come into my DMs and do that shit for free. Next thing, this podcast is not necessarily going to be for outreach for getting people more interested in engineering as a profession it's more to get people more aware of like what's going on around them if they want to learn more so I guess (laughs) as a black woman I feel like I need to say that this is not like official outreach I mean it can definitely add to the stuff out there about engineering and outreach but like this ain't it Um, I do (laughs) outreach for different populations, including minority and women in other work that I do. But this is way less constructive than that. Um, I really just want to talk about things that I haven't really been comfortable saying 
in a professional or classroom environment because I'm already a little bit eh about people taking me seriously because of who I am and what I look like. It's insecurity that I have. So to kind of get that out, I'm doing that here. I understand that this is a public setting, so this is probably not the best place to do it. But I'm doing it anyway. So that's that on that. And last thing is sources. So in the description, I'm going to have APA formatting for all the sources that I have because don't play with me. Like I did consider going to grad school. Um, I didn't go, but I did seriously consider it. So this was just like a really big literature review. And eventually I'm going to get to talk about the shitty water and wastewater system in the United States. So I'm like very excited for that. Anyway, all the sources are going to be the description. And if you have any questions about where I got any of my information from, again, reach out to the podcast on socials because that's where you're going to find it. That's where you're going to find it. Now that that's out the way, let's talk about dust. So before each incident, I'm going to try to talk about a engineering principle that's going to be really helpful for understanding what happened. So today, our main topic is going to be dust and specifically explosive dust. So side note, go clean your ceiling fan. I promise that if you don't clean it regularly, it's so dusty. I don't know why learning about this reminded me of that, but pro tip, make sure to wear a mask and ready to be just be ready to be disgusted by yourself because, oh my God, I am not a tall person. So getting to like the higher levels of my apartment for cleaning purposes, is just not top priority for me. And it's kind of difficult. So I just was thinking about dust and I decided to clean my ceiling fan and it was so bad. Like, I don't remember the last time I cleaned it, but it's definitely something that you should probably go clean like right now. Anyway, I digress. I've been personally attacked by dust all of my life, my own body just folding on me all the time with allergies and asthma. So I do know a lot about dust, but at the same time, I don't know that much about dust. So let's get to the definition of dust, which I found from National Geographic. I really just like their definition and it really encompasses everything that can be dust. So National Geographic's dust article says, Dust is a collection of microscopic particles of materials. Dust can be made up of pollen, bacteria, smoke, ash, salt crystals from the ocean, and bits of dirt or rock, including sand. Dust can also contain tiny fragments of human and animal skin, pollution, and hair. And yikes, I've always heard the rumor about skin flakes being a part of dust, but that concept is still so wild to me. Like, I know, but at the same time, Every time I read it, I'm just reminded it ruins my day and I hope it didn't ruin yours because yikes. Okay, so along with dust, I did want to talk a little bit about lint and lint is textile fibers that usually just collect. So if you were cleaning out your lint catcher, that's lint. It's a little bit different than dust, but it's still smaller particles. Yeah, and make sure to clean out your dryer lint because that can also cause fires. Just go do it. Now, when you're in industrial settings, anything can be dust and then that anything can cause issues. So for a dust explosion, the main things that you need are there's five things confinement or a closed in space, 
air. So air. Ignition. So something to get the fire started or to get the explosion started. And anytime I think of ignition, I always think of Sparks Fly by Taylor Swift. I would sing it, but I'm scared that she's going to find this and shut it down. Because even though I'm not really making money off this, I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid. She is the music industry. I don't like it, but I'm very afraid. Okay, (laughs) so the five things that we need are confinement, air, ignition, dust everywhere. So a dispersion of dust and the actual dust. Like that's also a part of it. Uh, just the properties around what it is. And these conditions form the dust pentagon, which is a hell of a conditions. Each dust type, especially the common ones, can be classified and tested in labs. With common dust, scientists and engineers can look up data and tell you how the dust will act in an explosion. There's different things that you can measure when it comes to dust, which is a little bit in the weeds, but all that information is usually available, especially for common dust, in this case, sugar. This info can be used to size different equipment and decide how often you should be doing your housekeeping practices. So housekeeping practices is anything that's going to keep your area clean and Just like at your house, you may have like a schedule for when you're supposed to clean stuff. The same thing has to be done at different industrial locations. If we go back to our ceiling fan example, are you going to have a dust explosion because your ceiling fan is dirty? Probably not. The space that you have your ceiling fan in is large compared to the amount of dust that you're probably going to have. Now, I know a lot of us might not feel like it's that large because we are young millennials or early Gen Zers. If you are older than that listening to this podcast, I hope that your space is a little bit better than the spaces that me and my friends are living in. But it can feel small, but it's not small enough to really have the hazard of an explosion. The concentration is low and you also don't have that dust that's on your ceiling fan in a cloud. Now, there may be like a small cloud because you have something up there, but at the same time, it's usually a mixture of lint and dust. So you should be fine, but you should still clean your ceiling fan. That's all I have to say about that. So that's dust. And that's going to be crucially important to what we talk about next. It's February 7, 2008, around 7.15 p.m. at the Port Wentworth Sugar Refinery for Imperial Sugar. The CEO, who was taking a tour at the time, and employees throughout the location hear something that sounds like a heavy object being dropped from a forklift somewhere in the packing building. So who and what is Imperial Sugar? I got all this information from the Imperial Sugar Company history tab um, on their website. So Imperial Sugar is headquartered in Sugarland, Texas and founded in 1843. The logo for Imperial Sugar is actually in the Sugarland city seal. They were there before the city was there and the city was actually named after the sugar operations that were happening in the area. Okay, side note, I'm probably going to try to keep all my comments towards the end and share them later. But this one I have to bring up right now because of the day of when they were founded. This company was founded in 1843. 
slavery was abolished in 1863. And in Texas and across the U.S., we have a whole holiday about slaves not finding out that they were free until June called Juneteenth. So do you really think the brothers who said that they founded this company were out there actually processing sugar themselves? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And this is something that really like makes me upset when I learn history, especially history within engineering. And when I used to learn history generally back in high school is that teachers and professors seem to have these like dual timelines in their heads that they don't explain shit while it's actually happening. So, you know, we'll talk about world history all the way up to, you know, the 60s or the 70s. And then they'll go back and talk about all the things they omitted. So they'll do February, Black History Month. We have a really progressive teacher. They might talk about the indigenous people of different lands. You might have other people talking about non-white immigrants. Like, come on. You couldn't like give us that while we were actually learning about it. Anyway, it's just one of my pet peeves. And I just wanted to bring that up because a lot of the times I look at these companies and I'm like, you were founded in 1843 and you're just, you know, you're not going to acknowledge any of that. You're not going to acknowledge any of that and how that later on became the blueprint for how you treated your workers that you were paying. Okay. Okay. Imperial Sugar makes a couple of different products. They have granulated sugar, confectioners, powdered sugar, brown sugar, and other specialty syrups. Over the years, they, of course, had gone through multiple acquisitions, bringing in other competitors and companies like them, including the Savannah Food Industries Incorporated, which marketed under the name Dixie Crystal in 1997. And one of those locations included the Port Wentworth plant outside of Savannah, Georgia, that had been operating in the sugar refining business since 1917 and was no way new to the sugar refining process. That is where we have our incident today. The Port Wentworth plant was like other sugar manufacturers. They received raw sugar and ground it into granulated sugar. From that granulated sugar, they made other specialty products. Once all the sugar types had been processed, the sugar was moved throughout the plant and packaged for normal groceries and other uses. So this could be as small as a bag that you see in the store, all the way up to 100-pound bags that may be used at big baking facilities or restaurants, and even past that to large rail cars of refined sugar that could be used at other manufacturing locations for big name corporations. The annual sugar production at this one location exceeded 700,000 tons. And that was about half of the sugar that Imperial Sugar was processing annually across all of their plants. So this was definitely one of the larger locations that they had. At this facility, they also had warehousing for raw and finished product. And the refined sugar was held in three silos before it was put into the different size bags. To get the sugar around the plant, they used conveyors and bucket elevators. Most of this is going to look like the shopping conveyor that you see, but on a more industrial scale. So the thing that you would see at the grocery store, they're just larger and are used for different areas of the plant. Now, most of the equipment like that, moving the sugar around the plant, was not sealed. 
So sugar would get out and build up where it landed. And if it wasn't removed, there was nothing to really remove it. There was no dust collections in those larger areas. It wasn't really needed because, again, you didn't really have a confined space that was really going to cause any issues. When workers and people operating in the area saw things were getting kind of dirty, they would have some cleaning done, but they would do it with compressed air. And one of the issues with compressed air is that you really just kind of blow it into the air, into a cloud, and that can land on higher members at the ceiling or you could have it just kind of move around so it may like help the one piece of equipment that you're at but that sugar can still end up in other places in the area when you had clogged machinery uh sugar would spill everywhere and so the sugar would end up on the floor it would end up beside the conveyor it would end up around kind of the bucket conveyor area it was just a complete mess In 2007, Imperial Sugar installed a stainless steel frame with top and side panels to fully enclose each belt assembly, so the conveyor belt, to protect the granulated sugar from falling debris and reduce the possibility of intentional contamination. The top and side panels were removed to provide access for cleaning and conveyor maintenance. Although sugar dust was generated as the sugar flowed onto the belt, And when flow blockages caused sugar to spill off the belt, these new enclosures were not equipped with dust removal systems and were not equipped with explosion vents. This had been an issue of having sugar all around the plant since most people, I assume, were working there. And in 2007, they tried to make some improvements to one of their main areas by enclosing it in. But that, of course, led to some major issues. So we're back at February 7th, 2008, at around 7.15 p.m. The employees had just heard a loud, heavy object, which is what they assume, being dropped somewhere in the packing building. Seconds later, there was a loud explosion sending debris throughout the packing building. It was later concluded by the Chemical Safety Board that most likely an overheated part of the conveyor came in contact with the sugar dust and caused the first explosion. From the explosion, thick concrete floors buckled and fire sprinkler pipes stood no chance. Fireballs fueled by dust traveled through the packing buildings. Fireballs also traveled through the enclosed conveyor to the refinery and bulk sugar areas. Explosions kept going for more than 15 minutes with all the dust becoming airborne and fireballs just continue. During this event, evacuation was almost impossible. Debris blocked stairwells and exit points, and most areas were cut off. The lighting had also been blown to bits by the first explosion and explosions that followed. Workers had already reported that they were using their phones and radios in normal testing conditions to contact others in emergencies. So the emergency notification in the facility wasn't always in service and nobody really relied on that and when it came time for something so tragic to happen that they didn't really have those emergency procedures in place. So during this event there was 14 lives lost and 36 were injured. I just want to take some time to say the names of those who were lost in this incident that day. 
Those lives lost from the February 7, 2008 tragedy were Eric Barnes, John Calvin Butler Jr., Truett Byers, Alfonso Fields Sr., Michael Kelly Fields, Malcolm Frazier, McKinley Vaughn Habersham Sr., Shalathia Sean Harvey, Earl Johnson, Patricia Ann Pat Lowe Proctor, Earl Quarterman, Byron Singleton, Tony Thomas, and Michael Big Mike Williams. So now let's talk about the aftermath of the incident. Workers reported that small fires had happened before, but this was one of the largest employers in the area. This is not something that really was put out in the public until there was this major issue. And these dust hazard issues were not new to the business. There had been documentation that the Chemical Safety Board had found going back to the 60s about issues that the location had had with dust. In October 2007, OSHA did start a new dust program to reduce hazards. But days before the explosion, the Port Wentworth location had one study done and there was nothing they could do about it so soon. So this happened a couple of days after they had gotten that official report from the regulating body, OSHA. And over the following years after the incident and a little bit before that, OSHA and the Chemical Safety Board were literally going at each other in the public. There are conferences and just kind of papers that are really, really shady because the Chemical Safety Board really focuses on investigations of incidents that happen. They don't really have the federal force that OSHA seems to have to actually put these things in place. The Chemical Safety Board is constantly going to other government bodies because they are a government body in the U.S., but they're constantly going to other government bodies to make them do the thing that they need to get done. Another thing to kind of think about and questions that came from this was the sugar that was being spilled on the floor, was all over the facility. My views on it is while, of course, it wasn't right that that place was so dirty with sugar, if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. So if the sugar spilled was cheaper, then taking that sugar, reprocessing it, and checking it for contaminants, then I can see how management and other people in the organization, in the Imperial Sugar organization, kind of let that go. Like, I mean, if you are just really used to it being that way and the company's still making money, then I'm not surprised that that sugar was never collected, even from a monetary standpoint. Imperial Sugar agreed in July 2010 to pay more than $4 million for safety violations at its Port Wentworth refinery as a part of a company-wide $6 million settlement with the regulators. Imperial Sugar also accepted a three-year program of intensive OSHA oversight at the Port Wentworth refinery. And that came from the Savannah Now article that was written 10 years after the incident. Also in that article, it was mentioned that in the agreement for the intensive oversight, Imperial admitted to no wrongdoing, but no longer contested OSHA's citations. And the location was rebuilt and reopened. 
So what was the misjudgment here? Well, what we'll find as you listen and hear more about these stories is that multiple times and in multiple cases, people know of the issue, but can't really wrap their minds around how to address it. And this is something that everyone all the time really should be thinking about. Even the firefighters responding to the scene afterwards in multiple articles that I saw had no idea how to even like prepare for a catastrophe of this size. It's really hard to even imagine after you've been doing this industry or you've been doing this process for hundreds of years. I think their hundred anniversary was in 2017. You get used to, oh, it'll be fine. Like the sugar here is fine. Like all of this is okay. And that's something that no one could really fall into that trap that management, engineers, shift supervisors, operators, workers, people who are associated with that plant or that location can't really get desensitized to because it can lead to huge catastrophes. And one thing I also want to talk about is you hear about these catastrophes and you don't really hear the full story and people are really ready to point fingers. But what I will say is that a lot of the times it just comes down to it's hard to do, like who's going to clean everything and who's going to, you know, get up at the ceiling and get stuff down. That in itself can become a hazard or become dangerous to the person who's doing it. So it's from one side, it's understandable. But again, regulation boards and companies really do have a responsibility to try to prevent these types of things and really be on it whenever they see it. That is the Imperial Sugar Explosion. This is the first episode of three incidents that made me want to start this podcast. There are two more episodes and then I will be taking suggestions. I have a list of things I want to talk about and maybe even some friends I want to bring on to talk about these disasters with me. As always, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ENG underscore misjudgment for photos and make sure to send a DM if you have any questions or want to learn more. Thank you so much for listening. Dumb Spiro Sparrow. Bye.